The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Decision day for the Fed, the fallout for your money. We discuss and debate that today with the Investment Committee, now less than two hours away from that big Fed decision. Kerry Firestone's with us today, along with Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, John Ajari, and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And with me right here on set, Joe Terranova and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets first and foremost, where we're trying to hang on to positive territory. We are at the moment 30,543. That's where the Dow is. That means 177 to the upside. The S&P at 3773. That is a 1% gain. The Nasdaq has retaken 11,000. That's key. We'll continue to watch that. And then 340 is the yield on the 10-year note. Oh, boy. Here we go. 75. Jim, yes? 75, and I want more. Joe, 75? 75, as I said on the last Fed meeting, I want more. John Nigerian, 75? 75, Scott. If they give us 50, we'll be down 400 before it stops. Carrie, 75? Absolutely, 75. All right. Mr. Wonderful, 75? 100%. 100. I want 100. I want to pull forward July. I want the whole hit now. I know know that, but I know what you want. But what what is it going to be? What are the odds? I'm going 1%. I want to be the outlier, Scotty. I want to be the outlier. 1%. Bring it forward. (laughs) Okay, so what, what happens if it's, it's not going to be, I mean, the chances are 3%, it's going to be 100. Let's assume it's 75, Kevin. What's the market reaction going to be? That's what people care about most. Straight up. Yeah? Yep, I'll tell you why. Because at this point, you have to believe the Fed stole another 25 basis points from the July hike. It was going to be 50-50, right? 50 in June, 50 in July. They pulled 25 in here. That gives you some confidence that they're getting this thing under control. The biggest debate people have to have putting money to work into this market is, do we have a recession coming in the back end of this year? I say no. Not with full employment, not with a Fed that's getting a little more aggressive. You want that 75 basis points, you're going to get it. I'd love to see 100. I'd like to see a full percent. I've said that already. But the point is, this sounds like a Fed that's got this thing. It's got the the lasso around the bull right now. And I think the market's going to like that a lot. Wow. Uh, Joe. That was very provocative from Mr. Wonderful. Big shocker. Uh, The Fed's gotten, you know, he says a little more aggressive. Um, They're likely to get a lot more aggressive. This idea that the market's going to go straight up, the idea that they're going to be as aggressive as they are now, 75 today, is likely. 75 in July, real possibility. More hikes after that. No recession is going to be the result of all of it. Do you agree with any of that? The chairman has in the past pivoted. He did it in January of 2019. He basically told us do every basically said buy stocks. Um, There was a dramatic pivot. So I think the chairman will pivot today. One of the things I think is important to pivot on is that from the July meeting, which is July 27th, there's not another meeting until September 20th. You have two CPI reports in between. We need to hear from the chairman 
that the Fed is willing to do an intermeeting rate hike. But now, they're not going to tell you that. They have to. They have to. They have to address the issue that there is nothing between July 27th and September 20th, and you're going to get two inflation readings. They have to tell markets that they're willing to respond to that. But they're not going to tell you that important. today. They, if there was no meeting in July, maybe they would uh, intimate that there But there's a meeting in July. Why are they going to tell you what they're going to do, they do in to, August? But that's the problem. Why do they have to wait till July? Do it now. They waited in May to do, they waited in May until today to do what they should have done in May. They've been waiting, waiting, waiting. They need to pull forward a lot of the communication. Now, as far as whether or not the economy is going to go into recession, I don't expect the economy is going to be in a deep recession. I don't think anyone expects that. But I do think given the decline in the wealth effect, I do think given the rise in gasoline costs, the consumer is going to retrench and corporate behavior is going to retrench. Does this restore, Kerry, the confidence in the Fed? Kevin O'Leary says that they've, they've got it under control now. This, this shows that they finally get it. Is it going to do that? Is it going to convince the markets, particularly the bond market, that they know what they're doing at this point? They got it and they're going to handle it? It's going to restore a little bit of confidence. As of now, there's, there's no confidence. There's no confidence in the Fed or the Treasury or maybe even corporate guidance. Yes. We've lost that. I mean, the market's down, you know, over 20%. So let's be real. Uh, that's a lot of, you know, decimation of sentiment. So we need more than this. What we need is to also see that... Uh, other prices begin to come down. I mean, what's what started to come down? You got a, a couple of ticks on oil. We know that mortgage rates are up, but we don't really see that housing prices are down. Rents are high. We're not seeing the effect yet on many of the commodities that we need to see some reduction. Food, uh, a great example. So I think that we have to get through a few more months of belief being restored that what the Fed is doing is on the right path and it's having an effect. Hmm. We need to see the effect before we can really start to move up reliably. Steve Leisman's with us too, uh, obviously. He's down in D.C. He asked the most provocative and market-moving question of the prior meeting, uh, and you can bet that he's prepared to do similar stuff this time. Leisman, are you there? I'm here. So do, do you think that Jay Powell feels that lack of confidence that Kerry suggests is, is out there in the market? I don't. I mean, I think that Powell looks at the idea that the two years since he pivoted in November has risen by about 280 basis points while the Fed has moved about 50 or so, whatever the number is, 60 or 70. Um, and that he has been able to pull forward an awful lot of tightening. And I think he's about to pull forward more tightening. Um, and I'm really interested to listen to the investment committee here because I wonder if they know where the market, at least on the Fed Fund's future side, thinks we're going here. And if you guys would put up the rate outlook chart, um, I'll show you where the market is currently priced, which is for a 4% funds rate by spring of 2023. Mm -hmm. That's where um, the market is currently priced for going. And I actually think, I don't know if you remember some of the reporting I've done about a month ago on this show and others, Scott, which was that I think that's closer to where we need to go. And by the way, that's reset by a full percentage point in just the past week. And you saw where the market went. So if, if I would like to know if my good friend and colleague, Mr. Wonderful, is going to be quite so sanguine about the outlook for stocks as we get to that or if we get to that 4 percent range. I, I, I think that's closer to where we need to go to get a hold over time over inflation. 
But I will tell you, those will be trying times for investors so, uh, in the equity market, I believe. Mr. Wonderful, why don't you answer that? Because you use the words a little more aggressive. What Leesman suggests, and I'll get to everybody else in just a minute, what Leesman suggests by looking at the Fed funds futures is that they're going to be way more than a little more aggressive. Well, my good guitar playing friend knows history is our lesson. There are plenty of bull markets that occurred between four and six percent sure. at Fed rates. And I, I think to say four sure. percent is scary is not. That not at all. That's historically very low rates. I don't think that's a big deal at all. I think the Fed could get to five percent. We'd still have eight, nine percent return on the S&P. I think we've got to get back and look at history. Go back a little bit. We've been really, really liquid over this last two and a half years with four and a half trillion dollars thrown into the market. Thirteen years, Mr. Wonderful. That's Thirteen fair. years. And that's and that's where we're going is. I believe a reversal of 13 years of a negative or non-positive Fed funds rate. And it's one of the things I'm interested from the Fed chair today. Does he believe that the funds rate ought to be positive? It is deeply negative now. It has been negative for a long time. And that has really advantaged stock investors and equity investors. It's made it so that investing in stocks is one where you get a participation rate, like a fifth grade soccer uh, game. Like just because you're, mm. you're, you're in the game, you get a trophy. I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. But Steve. I believe Mr. Wonderful is, is good on that. Yeah, no, he, he, a very fair point, I think, that, that Kevin makes, Jim. We're, we've been so warped, if you want to use that word, by free money for as long as we have. We, we don't even remember what low, real low rates are. Yeah. We're so skewed by negative rates and near zero rates that any move above that feels like you're going to the moon when in reality you're just getting back to reality. Yeah, Scott, and you, you know my family's background in fixed income, right? And it has been 15 years, not 13 years, it's been 15, 17 years since I've been able to credibly tell uh, clients, yeah, you should invest in bonds without saying that you're gonna lose your purchasing power. You are, right? But it gives stability to the portfolio. Now, look, we need to get to more normal interest rates. We should get to more normal interest rates. The point I would make in this discussion is there is room for the Fed to do this. By that, I mean, if you look at the economy, Scott, which obviously you do, um, you see that the ISM surveys are above 50. You see where jobless claims are. I know you're gonna say, well, wait, these are lagging indicators. That's true. However, jobless claims are extraordinarily low. Put another way, the ratio of job openings to unemployed people is two to one. It's huge. There is room for the Fed to get this done. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that it's a soft landing. It's not a slam dunk. It's a hard feat to pull off. But what I am saying, and Steve's kind of said this, I listen to you, Steve, on other shows too. You know, Steve said, yeah, it can be done. It can be done is the answer. So we haven't heard from John Najarian, who I really want to hear about. Um, John, because you, you, you look... You look at shorter term things in the market a little more closely than others do. Mm -hmm. Kevin suggests that the market is going to, I think he said, rip if the Fed does 75 mm -hmm. today. What does your experience and what you're seeing today tell you? If it does rip today, they're going to rip it up tomorrow, Scott. That's what I think. That's what you've seen time and time again. If the market reaction is um, extremely positive and you see a 500 point face ripper rally, um, then I would say you're going to see negative for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, and I'd say you talked about zooming in, Scott. Let's zoom out just a little bit. So I agree that obviously a 4% rate that Steve just mentioned um, is tolerable and we can rally. And to uh, Mr. Wonderful's point, if we've got 9% returns in the market, yeah, 4% is fine. But um, I think that during these 15 years, 
you've been goosing this pretty good with really low interest rates. So most of the gains here have been with those low interest rates. They haven't been with significantly higher interest rates. And so I'm not as certain as the rest of uh, many of my colleagues that we can just go right back to, oh, it's only 4% and gee, it was 16% in 81. Uh, that's not really what we're looking at here. Again, you zoom out and you see a market that really will not tolerate in the short term, will not, and short term, I'll say three to six months, Scott, will not tolerate mm -hmm. significantly higher rates. And we heard from Ford today that delinquencies are up. We're going to hear it from GM. We're going to hear it from everybody on credit cards, on mortgages. And that's before the 75 basis points kicks in. After that, that's where we really have the risk that the Fed drives us to a recession, which I say is a 70-30 proposition at this point. Wow. I need to know from you, Joe, where do you, where do you think stocks are, are going to do? I mean, I don't care 10 minutes after they say what they do, but in the days and, and weeks ahead. We put new lows in this week after some suggested that the lows were already in. So the market's fragile. Um, it's going to hear from the Fed chair, who may be more hawkish than he was in the past. Remember, the reason the market initially ripped is because of the way he answered Leisman's question about 75 being back, uh, being off the table in not so many words, but that's the way the market took it. So, so my sense is as we move towards the end of this quarter and the mid-year uh, halfway point, I think unless today he goes beyond the 75 basis points, if he puts the market, as I said before, on notice that potentially he could hike rates <clears throat> in between meetings, he has to do something beyond that. If he doesn't, there's too much negative momentum, there's too much negative sentiment to reverse, and that leads me to believe through the remainder of the month we're very vulnerable to return to the pre-pandemic highs at 33.93. Leesman, I mean, really, game it for me. What are the chances that he's going to lay the groundwork today for an intermeeting move? I, I'd say that's near zero. I don't think he needs to do that, Scott. I think what he'll do is, um, you know, guys, I have a, a, a chart in the back there real quickly that I put together about how the market is pricing. It's called uh, Fed, Fed Funds Pricing, I believe it's called. And here's, here's what the market is priced for right now. 275s, uh, 250 September, November, and then a 25 for December. That's 275 basis points of uh, tightening for the full year, getting you to 365. And then you need to get to four to fulfill the uh, where the market is priced right now sometime in May of next year. Um, I, I, I think, I'm, obviously, Scott, what I want to know from this meeting from Powell today is, does he affirm the way the market is priced right now? I'm, I'm afraid that he can't give me the answer that I want and I think the people around this table want which is, where are you going with this? How high do you need to go to get inflation under control? And I think the answer is that this is meeting to meeting. And so when you ask me what stocks will do, I know it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but I think volatility is probably the best call here, in part because I don't think the Fed is sure about what it's going to take to get where it needs to go, which is getting inflation under control. Yeah. Jim, I mean, Gundlach, Jeffrey Gundlach, wants 200 a day. I mean, not going to get that. No, but, no, but that's the kind of stuff that he suggests is needed. And as all of you, I, I hope, know by now, I'll speak with Jeffrey in overtime today in an exclusive right after the Fed. So we'll get to react in real time um, to what the Fed did and what it said. And he's always provocative, obviously, in his tweet last night suggesting just get to 3% tomorrow. Or, I mean, today. That's what he said last night. So we're going to get his instant reaction. But, you know, 
people want more. Yeah. Kramer wants more. Gunlock wants more. Ackman wants more. There's, there's O'Leary wants more. I, and Jimmy wants more. Joe wants more. The there's, farmer there's, wants more. There's a reason why. Because when we get to the other side of this rate height cycle, which will peak at some point, okay? I don't know if it's 3 or 4%, but let's say it's 4%. When you get to the other side, you've got some really good things to look forward to. I said this yesterday. We're dealing with the short-term after effects of the pandemic. There's a long-term after effect of the pandemic, which is really powerful. And it's supply chains moving out of China, moving out of Russia, moving out of hostile countries back here to the U.S. and to the greater North American region, also to the European region. Those are powerful economic forces that are going to keep people employed, that are going to have us constructing things, building middle-class incomes again that Ross Perot in the 90s came up with the idea, the great sucking sound of jobs going overseas. They're coming back, all right? And that's a positive thing to look forward to. It's not going to get upended no, by it's 4% not. on the Fed funds rate. So, all right? here, no, here. it's not. So, Leesman, let me, let me uh, you have a last word? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like uh, uh, the idea of deglobalization is bad for the stock market, bad for the economy. We had 1.7 billion Chinese workers working for us, and now we want to cut that off, and we don't have enough workers to do half of the things Jim wants to do. God bless his ideas on it. We don't have the workers here if we don't have immigration and if we deglobalize, and that means lower multiples on the stock market from deglobalization. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, just, just one point to my colleague, Steve. We always look, look, we always have respectful conversations, but Go. if we're worried about layoffs at Carvana, at Peloton, at, you know, all of these companies, let's keep them employed in better, Great. more productive for the economy sure. jobs. Yeah, but you, 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 you speak about it, Jim, as if this is happening in 10 minutes after we get you know, beyond the Fed doing its no, thing, so we're on I, the other side of the, I, the if pandemic. I, if I spoke that way, I no, apologize. That, I was trying to say this is 2023 and beyond. Let's get past. That's not going to happen in 2023. You're not onshoring everything in 2023. You absolutely are doing it right now. You, are you paying but, attention but, to what? But you're talking saying? about like wholesale changes in the economy that are going to happen in in six months. No way. Uh, no. Listen, Scott. These. No you, way. You, the announcements are all out there. No you way. got a new rare earth element uh, mine announced yesterday. You got semiconductor plants going up. All so the economy is going to be complete transformed in the next six months, ladies and gentlemen. That is not what I'm saying, and you know he that. And I'll repeat that. what I said yesterday, that this is a multi-year phenomenon. It's a long-term after effect. You're going to feel it in 2023 and in the two years Leesman, after. Leesman, I know you got to bounce. Let me let you go, but I'll see you this afternoon. I know that. Uh, that's Steve Leesman. We'll, we'll, all, we'll all see him later. He, here's, the, here's the issue, Kevin O'Leary. I come back to you for, for this idea that the market's going to rip and stocks will be fine and the second half's going to be great. If I asked you what the earnings are going to be, you have no idea. You can't tell me that. So, so I have so, to take a view on it. And I, you're not giving enough credit to the productivity that's come into this market over the last three years of all of this technology that drove direct-to-consumer businesses, enhanced margins dramatically, gave us a whole lot of new tech. I, I, let's use Nike for an example. During the pandemic, they went for 38% direct-to-consumer to over half, 55% direct-to-consumer at an 80% gross margin. You're not giving them any credit for that? What about all the other companies? What about all the private companies have done that? No credit for that? This is a more productive, high higher gross margin economy, and nobody wants to give it any credit, you're all wrong. What's going to happen is we're going to have fantastic earnings, much better than being brought down right now in Q4. I get jump ball in Q1. Maybe Steve's right at 4%. I am nowhere near as negative as everybody else around the table right now. Too much good stuff has happened, and nobody wants to give credit to it. Kevin, I hope you're hearing me, man. I don't know where everybody around the table is sounding negative. I mean, fantastic earnings in Q4. You're an outlier thinking that. 
I'm just saying they'll be better than what is yep. being drawn down right now. People are so negative. They're oh. saying, and show me where this recession is. Show me in the employment numbers. Show me in the sales numbers of private companies. Show me where is this recession. Bring it out. I don't see it anywhere. Kevin, Maybe it's coming, but it's not yet. Kevin, let, let me ask you uh, the critical question. The pricing of oil is obscuring everything that you're talking about. How, how do you resolve the challenge we have right now in the price of oil? That's the, the economy, the market, they're not, it's not going to be able to recover unless we see some relief and relief that we can believe is a long-term solution for oil. Here's how you fix that problem. It was a policy mistake by Biden when he came in. You reverse the mistake. All you have to do is jawbone. The oil market's a futures market. Just announced you're going to license three new refineries on the East Coast. Also announced we're going to re-examine the, the, the XL pipeline. We're going to give back the leases in Anwar. We're going to give more carbon direction to understand what the costs are. All of those policy mistakes could be reversed by just getting up and jawboning it. You could take oil down below 100 bucks if you got more accommodative towards the future production. Yeah. Now, Biden may not do that. That's on him, and he'll pay could, dearly for that. I was going to say, I have terms. a bridge. I, I, I know this bridge that goes from Manhattan into Brooklyn. Yep. I, I can sell it to you for a hefty yep. fee if you think that's going to happen. Doc, let's do this. Let's <laughs> let's take a quick break. Uh, we have Tom Lee on the other side from Fundstrat. We're going to work him into this conversation, into the mashup, uh, where he thinks everything's headed. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, with less than two hours until the Fed decision on interest rates, let's bring in our headliner. He is Tom Lee. He's managing partner and head of research at Fundstrat, he is a bull on the market. I think it's fair to say you still are. So do you think we're getting 75 basis points today? And how will the market react? Uh, I think markets have already priced in 75 if you look at uh, interest rate futures. So I would say that makes a lot of sense because the Fed doesn't necessarily want to surprise markets. And I, I think that I'd agree with those who say that a, a move like today is probably better for risk assets only because it really narrows the perception about how far the Fed is behind. You know, a simple way to look at it is the spread between the two-year and Fed funds, which Jeff Gunlock has mentioned many times. And it's at the highest level since May 94 today. But after the hike, this brings it down to levels that were actually 
lower than we were around April this year. So I, I think in some ways, you know, investors could actually start to feel better that the Fed isn't as behind uh, fewer sort of upside surprises. And of course, the data has to start cooperating going forward. But they're going to be really aggressive going forward. Don't don't you agree with that? You saw Fed funds futures, what Leisman was talking about, uh, where rates could really be going. The market's just going to be just fine in, in that scenario. I, I think people have a hard time believing that it is. Uh yeah, there's uh, I would say that you can't nobody can say the macros uh, is super clear right now. Um, I think it's been helpful to see some of the slowing uh, and, and the job cuts because that just shows the current hikes and the current tight financial conditions are slowing the economy. And I think, of course, the unknown is what happens with gasoline, because that that is really driving people's perceptions about CPI. But on the flip side, I'd agree with what Kevin and Jim have been saying. You know, there's a real test happening to corporate America here. Uh, you know, in the pandemic, uh, people expected earnings to collapse, but companies slashed costs and managed through that well. And I think that really earned them a, a view that they're kind of much more durable than people expected. And now I think investors are all assuming that companies are going to get massacred uh, in this current environment. But if they're going to navigate through this better than expected and earnings hold up better, then we're talking about a, a situation where investors are risk off. The Fed isn't necessarily going to shock markets with further surprises. So even if rates, you know, if the Fed hikes from here, a lot of that's already priced into future interest rates. So there's fewer surprises to discount rate and what you think risk premium should do. And so I think stocks could do a lot better. John Ajarian, I, I want your, your counterpoint, I suppose, uh, because you're extremely negative, it sounds to me, against what is Farmer Jim and Kevin O'Leary and Tom Lee's optimism? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an optimistic guy overall, Scott, but I'm also um, a realist, and I'd love to hear Tom's opinion on... Tom, you heard today that Ford had uh, significantly higher delinquencies. Granted, that's coming from a low rate. I get it. Uh, but that's only going to be accelerating for the next year. Um, that's going to go over to credit card debt. It's going to go over to mortgages. We all know how this snowballs. So how can I be as optimistic as you, Tom, if I know that consumers that are 70 percent of the economy are going to be strapped? They're not going to be able to trade, uh, you know, as far as there'll be more people renting because home affordability is going to be going down. Meeting that mortgage payment is going to be a lot tougher unless Biden actually did something about an energy policy which he has only done a negative energy policy so far. I mean, you, you already said the price that will be paid to transport items for people. I mean, any increasing interest rates doesn't bring food prices down, doesn't bring gasoline prices down. It just doesn't. You can impact other things, right. but those so, two will not correct. be brought down because people have to eat and they've got to get somewhere. Strapped consumer, right? If not now, it's uh, coming. Yeah, there's a... Uh this is sort of the peculiar, uh, that would be peculiarly positive actually for equities, uh, John. And it's not because I want okay. people to lose jobs and, and not repay their loans. Um, these are obviously you know, bad signs, but in the aggregate, it actually has two effects. One is it's really gonna slow okay. the perception about inflation because if you've got delinquencies and repossessions and housing slowing, well, that just, kills two stalwarts of the inflation narrative. You know, one is housing and owner's equivalent rent in the future, and second is goods pricing. 
And it also weakens the job market. And as you know, the Fed is really concerned about how tight the job market is. So I, I think if what's happening uh, on the margin actually supports the idea of a soft landing. And if it's a soft landing, the Fed doesn't have to go as far. That's a very minority view right now because I think people are really concerned about inflation. But it's uh, even if you look at things like the Cleveland inflation tracker, core inflation is cooling, not maybe fast enough for the Fed, but there are signs of cooling. And if we add all these things, it, it means core inflation could drift lower. And that's probably the best news for risk assets. I mean, and they're not only worried about inflation as to why they think there's, there's not going to be a soft landing. It's because history suggests that the Fed can't pull it off. And maybe that's the overwhelming factor in the reason why there is a level of pessimism that the Fed can do what the market suggests is going to happen by Fed funds futures. And then somehow they're also going to have the incredible ability to avoid a recession. We, we will see. And Tom, I know we'll talk to you uh, multiple times uh, in the weeks and months ahead. I got to run. Uh, I'm tight on time, but we'll see what happens this afternoon. We'll see you soon. Coming up, we do have many moves from the investment committee to get to today. Their latest buys and sells are coming up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hello, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. Federal prosecutors are filing hate crime charges against the white gunman who allegedly killed 10 people in a racist attack at a Buffalo supermarket. The 18-year-old suspected shooter is facing 26 counts of hate crimes and firearms offenses, which carry the potential of the death penalty. Attorney General Merrick Garland is in Buffalo today and expected to address those federal charges. A water main break in West Texas could leave more than 160,000 residents in and around Odessa with little to no water for the next two days. Look, this is a big deal. The county's declaring a state of disaster because there's a massive heat wave with temperatures reaching triple digits. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is directing state agencies to help coordinate the response as there's an imminent threat of severe damage and loss of life. His words. Former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms will join President Joe Biden's administration. She will replace Cedric Richmond as director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. The senior staff role is responsible for bridging the gap between the administration and the American people. Break here. We'll be right back. 
We are less than 90 minutes now away until the Fed's decision on interest rates. Let's get the CEO's view now. Joining us now is Tom Rogers. He's the CEO of Target Media, the executive chairman of Engine Gaming and Media, back here for the first time in a couple of years, and one of the founders of this great place. It's good to see you. Great to be here, Scott. Welcome. Nobody does Socratic method on television better than you do. It's terrific. I feel like I'm back in law school when I watch you. I, I really appreciate that. I try. I try. But it's, it's so good to have you. Really, um, I do want the CEO's perspective, right, ahead of what is an incredibly consequential Fed meeting. What's, what's the fallout? What are, you, what are your views? Well, whether it's uh, 75 or 50, uh, I'm not here to predict. Uh, but I think overall things are going to get uh, worse before they get better. And I think uh, for legacy media, which we'll discuss in a little bit, uh, they're going to get uh, much worse before they get better. You see different parts of the economy. I know you have you know, friends in all sorts of places, CEOs who are running other businesses. Does this feel like recession is, is imminent to you? Well, certainly people are preparing for recession, uh, and uh, sometimes that could be uh, self-fulfilling. You're certainly seeing uh, the job cutbacks. You're seeing uh, uh, discretionary expenses cut back. You're seeing travel, which has already been cut back because of the pandemic, being cut back even more. So certainly people are preparing for that eventuality, and the preparation itself can be uh, self-fulfilling. Let's get into your wheelhouse, if we could, um, because this is in many ways... Uh, the year of, you know, a handful of stocks that have been of the biggest of stories. And Netflix is among them. Uh, stock that was like 700 bucks and it's been destroyed. And some are questioning whether Netflix's best days are behind it. What's your view? Well, my view is the market has overreacted with respect to Netflix and streaming in general you know, to the downside and underreacted in terms of uh, the downside potential of legacy media. And uh, I think uh, what will be clear is Netflix is still the leader in the streaming world, will continue to be. There are some 500 million cable and satellite subscribers around the world who are still uh, linear television viewers who, unless you think something abruptly is going to change and people are going to stop being attracted to all good programming, going to streaming media, uh, a lot of them are going to be converted to streaming media and Netflix has the pole position. I mean, you tighten your wallet a little bit more if we do have a recession that, like you, you know, you say people are preparing for. Uh, you have many more competitors on the landscape than you used to have. It's a different world well, for Netflix it, today than it was yesterday. It, it is a different world, but you got to look at it also from what's going to happen to legacy media. They're going to be hit with a, quintet, a quintuple whammy here. You already have cord cutting, the $100 bundle continuing to, uh, to go down. Inflationary pressures are going to cause that to accelerate. You have lower ratings. With lower ratings, you have lower advertising. With impending recession, you have a big advertising pullback. And on top of the advertising pullback, what you have is a reallocation of money from top of the funnel, so-called brand advertising, to performance advertising, which favors the digital crowd. So all that's going to hit. What you have with Streaming, even though people are worried about the inflationary impact on Netflix and the streaming industry generally, 
the bundle is going to get hit worse. $100 is where you're going to save the money. You're going to pick up some streaming services in return. Moreover, what we've seen on cable and satellite in other recessions is people pull back on out-of-home entertainment spending and rely more on in-home entertainment spending. The prevailing in-home entertainment uh, today is streaming media. And so they're also going to be able to benefit some from uh, more focus on in-home versus out-of-home entertainment. Well, I feel like legacy media has been declared dead like a thousand times, and the, the, that death has been greatly exaggerated over the last handful of years, notwithstanding some of the obvious metrics that people are seeing, you know, that, that you're suggesting are only going to get a lot worse. But maybe it's not as bad, ultimately, as you suggest that it might be. Well, uh, that's a fair point. Certainly, uh, when... Uh, we were at NBC, a broadcast-only network, and people said broadcasters were dead, and we made a transition to cable, and you are here today to see how successful that transition was. The difference is broadcasters were transitioning to a far better model than the cable model. Cable and satellite model, best model known to man. Maybe only 20 25% of households ever watch a network, but you get paid across 100% of them. When you're moving into streaming from that model, you're moving into a much worse business model. You've got to get paid only across those homes that will watch you and pay for you and stick with you when it's much easier to churn, much tougher model. See, now, this gentleman sitting to your right um, would suggest that um, Netflix's problems are a Netflix problem and that he owns Paramount, for example, and I'll let you opine on why you own Paramount relative to that, but that's the argument you make. It's not in everybody's problem with competition and lack of subs and declining subs, et cetera, et cetera. It is a Netflix problem, has its own problem, and then you have your Paramount. Yeah, and, and thank you. I mean, that's exactly the question I want to ask you, which is there are certain industries in which all the companies move in lockstep, right? I mean, oil and gas, whatever's going on with fossil fuel and macroeconomics, all those companies move together. Certainly, we're seeing in some of the results uh, a differentiation. And I'm just curious if you think the streaming broadcast industry is going to have companies all move in lockstep or not. And if they are going to differentiate themselves, boy, I'd love it if you'd give a pick or two. And I, I know we're uh, part of the parent company here is Comcast, so we've got to give a nod there. Or maybe we don't. Well, the Comcast was getting an awful lot of criticism for being a bit of a laggard, and uh, now uh, they're getting uh, uh, a very different look for having been a little more modest in what they were throwing at streaming and maybe getting this balance from legacy to streaming uh, a little bit better than some of the other companies that were throwing everything they had at streaming uh, before they were actually ready to be able to benefit from that. Every company has a little bit of a different model here. I do think the, the problem is that Netflix doesn't have to manage a declining business. It can only look forward and build streaming. And all the other companies that are big players in streaming have to figure out how to manage that decline. Yep. And the decline issue is real, and it's going to be significant, and inflation and recession only make it more significant. I do think that uh, they will all have robust streaming businesses. The question is, the market at one point was looking at those businesses as potentially better than the legacy business they're substituting. They're really coming from a world that's very hard to recreate as good a model as the one they had. I, I, we do got to go, but, but I, I do want to work this in. Um, John and Jerry, you literally just sold over the last few weeks 80% of your Netflix shares. Um, you heard Tom essentially make the case that this is a Netflix world and all the other streamers are just living in it. 
So what do you say to, to Mr. Rogers here oh. about why you sold 80% of your Netflix? Well, I finally got back above water from a horrible purchase at 219, Scott, just from collecting a lot of premiums, um, call sales against it. But to your point with Mr. Rogers, he knows a lot more about streaming than I do, Scott. But my feeling is that Freevee, uh, the former IMBD uh, that Amazon is running, is a category killer. Um, and uh, Netflix is not ready to uh, get there as quickly as they need to get there. And then they need the sales force um, for the ad-supported business model. I don't know that they get there as quickly. That's why I shifted that money. It was under two million bucks, but I shifted that money, uh, Mr. Rogers, into Amazon because at 102 bucks a share, 103, where I was buying it yesterday, I'll take that over Netflix at wherever it is today, 175, 180. Well. Uh Look, Amazon's a gargantuan company, and Freebie's a tiny little mm -hmm. pimple in the scheme of what moves uh, Amazon. But you got to keep in mind that Netflix is in over 100 million homes. That's 25 million more homes than ESPN is in today. Their core issue shouldn't be their subscriber numbers, which is what everybody was focused on, a couple hundred thousand less here and a quarter. The issue is, are they going to monetize the third that are not now paying? That's their challenge. The advertising uh, model that they are now moving to mm -hmm. should help some with that. But that's an enormous accomplishment. That's more homes than any of the cable satellite bundle channels that we used to talk about having full U.S. distribution ever had. And that's not really recognized or appreciated. So I think if you're looking at the sub numbers and who's got the momentum, you can't forget how far ahead Netflix is from everybody else. We'll make that the last word. It's great to see you. Thanks Always. for having me, Judge. All right, that's Tom Rogers. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. I know. All right, up next, we do have to get to those buys and sells from the committee. John's unusual activity is coming up as well. And all of this month, we are celebrating Pride Month here at CNBC. And here is Ryan Ruggiero. He is CNBC Senior Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The most important thing that I want people to know about the LGBTQ community is that we are everywhere. We are CEOs, CFOs, actors, doctors, lawyers, football players, and we are journalists. We are also so appreciative of the many LGBTQ trailblazers and allies that continue to help create change in our community. We are not going anywhere, and we will continue to stand united in the face of injustice until we are all treated equally under the law. Let's get to those moves now. Kevin O'Leary, I start with you first. You bought more Disney and you bought FedEx and you bought more Adobe, but FedEx is the new one. Why? Uh, FedEx, it's always been the story that this trades at a 50% discount UPS and it's just poorly managed. Now you've got an activism tone to it. Uh, that's new. I bought it before that, but it's benefited from it. And I think there's opportunity here to get the margins up higher, reduce CapEx, and, you know, take advantage of a, a pretty big sell-off in the overall market. So the tone here is better management coming to this theater soon. Adobe, it's just more of the same. I've owned this name a long time. I'm, as I've already stated earlier in the show, I'm a little more bullish on the economy than many. And that's going to be a tool that continues to be used. Uh, Disney, oh my goodness, this is a painful story. Uh, it's given back the. You're basically getting the streaming service we just spoke of for free. We're back down below 100 bucks. You're in the 90 upper 90s. Uh, the, the stock has has it, all of the premium up into the 120s, whatever it was, was all the value given to streaming. Now you get it for free. That's the play on Disney. 
All right. Uh, John Ajurian, uh, wow, you sold 20 positions. Is that is that right? That's right, Scott. I've got my highest um, cash position right now that I've had since 2008, mm. just over 60%. I did a lot of those, Scott, just because um, I, I don't know what the next move is going to be. I think 75 basis points is correct today, but I wanted to just trim the herd a little bit and uh, be ready for a significant decline. And if uh, Mike Wilson's right, and he's been right for a long time, I'll be buying back in a lot cheaper than here. Yeah. So you sold stock in BlackBerry, um, which I had forgotten that you'd even had. And you also sold Gap shares. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yep. Uh, you sold the Gap shares. Just take me through the Gap stock. You, you also sold calls in a lot of things. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get to. You could tweet those out for people because there's yeah. too many to mention. But selling stock in Gap, you sold your position. Why? Well, um, I, I get emails every day, like many of your viewers, uh, that that are basically 60% off, 70% off sales. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, I know Target has to cut too, Scott, and that's one of the options that I sold was calls on Target, quite frankly. Sorry, Brian Cornell. Um, but I sold many of these retailers because I think they're just going to flush it. I think they're just going to have to cut price dramatically to move things. And again, it's a broken record, Scott, but that's before they move interest rates up and people start having tougher and tougher credit uh, going forward because of these higher interest rates. So the biggest debtor is the U.S. Uh, it's, it's not you and me, Scott, but this is also going to hurt the U.S. pretty dramatically, those non-payments of interest, even though we sort of make it look like we make payments. We don't really. Um, uh, so these bonds, I think, are in trouble still, mm. even at these levels. I feel like I'm doing a little bit of a disservice to people if I don't read these names. You, you tweet them out still, but I'll just run through the, the names you sold calls in. ChargePoint, Cinemark, Lennar, uh, Marquetta, Nike, Palo Alto, mm -hmm. Palantir, Square. You mentioned Target, the VIX, mm -hmm. the XLE, the XLF, mm -hmm. eBay, and Rocket. Uh, so things that you have talked about on this yep. program on numerous occasions, you uh, no longer own, uh, whether it's options or stocks. And, Doc, you can go into more specifics on that later if you want to. But nonetheless, at least we get that out there. You do have unusual activity coming up, too. Cool. And we'll do that next. All right, let's do that unusual activity. John, what do you got? Well, Scott, uh, both of these are June positions, which means deep end of the pool. These options expire on Friday, this Friday. So Meta's the first one, M-E-T-A. Um, obviously, the name change not really helping them out much. And they're buying the 155 puts. The stock was about 164 at the time. Second one, this is a call. It's in the HYG, a high yield. Um, they're buying also June, the 7650 calls. And this one was with the uh, HYG, I believe, around 74 and a little change, Scott. I'm in the calls there, and I'm in the puts on Meta. All right, good stuff. We'll do final trades next. A reminder, Jeffrey Gunlock will join me in an exclusive interview, 4 p.m. on the backside of the Fed. To react to all of that, I hope all of you will join me then. Let's do final trades. Kevin O'Leary, I want to ask you first about crypto. Uh, you own Robinhood. You own Coinbase. You own Ethereum. Um, so obviously you've been, you know, taking a lot of pain 
What are you doing with it? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I own Bitcoin and 32 other blockchain positions and projects. Here's my thinking. In the next week or two, we're going to hear a big player go to zero. We had this over the weekend with Celsius. It got basically gated. It's going to go to zero. But I'm talking somebody big. I don't know who it's going to be yet. Somebody's over levered. When they blow up, there'll be panic in the streets. That'll be the bottom. That's always the bottom. It's a long-term capital strategy. You need an event. We don't have it yet. Um, I'm suggesting Ethereum is probably the most, if you've never played in crypto land, this is a payment system. It's been crushed along with other crypto. It's right. my, uh, my pick. Buy some ETH, ETH, Ethereum. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Carrie, I need a name from you for final trades. Schwab. Okay. John Nigerian, a name? ICLN. Bought that ETF today. Good stuff. Farmer Jim. Boeing. Okay. CRISPR. CRISPR. Okay. I will see all of you in a few hours' time with Jeffrey Gunlock, backside of the Fed. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.